Welcome to Love Your Heart, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic's Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart and Vascular Institute. These podcasts will help you learn more about your heart, thoracic, and vascular systems, ways to stay healthy, and information about diseases and treatment options. Enjoy. Hello, I'm Osama Wazni. I'm the section head of uh, electrophysiologists at the Cleveland Clinic. And here with me today is uh, Dr. Walid Sariba. He's the director of the EP lab and also co-director of the AFib Stroke Prevention Center that we um, founded here at the Cleveland Clinic a few years ago. And we're here to talk to you about left atrial appendage uh, closure uh, device. So uh, without further ado, we'll start uh, uh, Dr. Saliba. Um, <clears throat> can you just tell us about, a little bit about the background of why uh, you think uh, this technology or this aspect of patient care is, is um, as important as we found it to be? Sure. Um, as you know, atrial fibrillation uh, increases uh, the risk of stroke uh, significantly, and, uh, around five times uh, increased risk of stroke in patients who have atrial fibrillation. And we also know that most strokes that occur in patients with atrial fibrillation, uh, the clot is attributed to uh, a clot in the left atrial appendage. Mm -hmm. And therefore, uh, it is uh, very reasonable to think that uh, if there is a, some kind of a technology that allows us to block the left atrial appendage, that we would uh, presumably decrease the risk of stroke. And uh, the studies uh, that uh, were actually done uh, previously in the surgical literature um, even though they were not randomized study, there were some uh, points that this might be true. And finally, with the uh, advent of the left atrial appendage occlusion device, uh, the Watchman device, there were several studies that were done that actually uh, proved that theory to be uh, somehow uh, right. Um, so we have at our disposal so far several studies mm -hmm. that took patients with atrial fibrillation at high risk of stroke as judged by uh, certain characteristics that they have uh, based on the CHADS VASC score or the CHAD score. And these patients uh, were randomized in 2 to 1 fashion to either receive the Watchman device, left atrial appendage occlusion, versus warfarin. So, therefore, these patients had to be able to take oral anticoagulation, yeah. which is very important for our discussion later. And all those studies showed that the uh, Watchman device uh, was not inferior to warfarin in terms of its efficacy in decreasing the uh, uh, combined endpoint of uh, stroke or systemic embolization. Um, and also, uh, if you take the totality of the trials that was done, um, you can see that there was a significant, actually, reduction, not only in the uh, old cause of stroke, but also in cardiovascular mortality, which was mainly driven by a reduction of um, uh, risk of uh, bleeding and bleeding yes. events. And then, uh, it's, which is essentially lo logical, uh, to think about because uh, if patients have a uh, watchman device to decrease their risk of ischemic stroke and therefore will not need to take long-term anticoagulation, which is the taboo of the oral anticoagulants, yeah. then they will have a reduction in risk of hemorrhage. So who are the indicated patients uh, today? So FDA indication uh, today. So the FDA indication, which I think is a, a reasonable uh, wording, because they had to base their indication on the kind of patients that were enrolled in the studies. Mm -hmm. uh, patients who have atrial fibrillation, who are at an increased risk of stroke based on their CHADS-VASC score, which is uh, two or more, uh, who are able or judged by their physicians to be able to take oral anticoagulation. And this is also subject for some controversy here. But they have an appropriate rationale to seek a non-pharmacologic alternative 
to that reduction in risk of stroke, yeah. taking into account the risk and benefits of these, uh, um, of these alternatives. So can you tell us a little bit about how uh, you developed the program at the Cleveland Clinic uh, for, uh, specifically for stroke prevention uh, in atrial fibrillation patients? So we realized early on during uh, uh, the development of uh, uh, such, uh, such a center that um, most of the patients who will be seeking uh, this kind of a therapy are the patients who do not or cannot take oral anticoagulation. So these are the patients who have had history of bleeding, yes. yet they are at a high risk of stroke and they need to have some kind of a prevention for stroke. Uh, these are the patients who are potentially bleeders, who um, because of certain characteristics being their job, their occupation, or certain medical conditions that they have, are at an increased risk of bleeding, but they haven't bled yet. Yeah. Um, with this in mind, we knew that those kind of patients that are of concern in these situations are the patients who had either bleeding in their head, yeah. bleeding in their gastrointestinal system, bleeding in uh, genitourinary system. And therefore, we went ahead and partnered with uh, our colleagues in the Neurovascular Institute, in the Gastrointestinal Institute, Institute um, because we wanted to build uh, more of a collaborative, uh, multidisciplinary approach to this kind of a problem. So that when a patient comes to us, instead of having flip-flopping from one clinic to another, we'll have a streamlined, one-stop approach so that when they come to us, they see us, we determine their risk of bleeding, we determine their risk of stroke. Based on the risk of bleeding, we send them to that clinic so that our colleague will help us in determining what is the appropriateness and the risk of initiating anticoagulation on the short term for these patients. Mm -hmm. Because in order for us to put that device in, these patients need to be on anticoagulation around 45 days after the procedure. Yes. So, um, so those are the patients basically who were contraindicated or were not included in the studies. Those are patients who already had a bleeding episode or are at very high risk for having bleeding. So can you tell us about uh, our experience or your experience uh, in those kinds of patients? That is a very important question because if you look at that group of patients, you can see that these are not the patients that typically were enrolled in the studies, yeah. but these are the patients who we think would have the most benefit, would derive the most exactly. benefit yeah. from a left atrial appendage occlusion device. So most of the patients that we have considered in our practice here are patients who actually have had either an intracranial bleed or uh, subdural hematoma or patients who had GI bleeding. So these are patients at high risk of bleeding, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we asked our colleague, is it okay to anticoagulate these patients for six to seven weeks, yeah. only to be able to put that device in? And there was a lot of talk, and then there was a lot of give and take, and it's an experience for them as much as an experience for us. And to our surprise, and uh, very pleasantly so, um, those patients, we were able to give them intermediate-term anticoagulation. We have approximately now 50 patients, and we published our data on 30 or 40 of these patients. We were able to get them on anticoagulation, put the device in, get them off anticoagulation with a successful device implant in all of them. Most importantly, we have not had any problems with bleeding in any of these patients except for one patient who actually had a traumatic bleeding after he stopped anticoagulation. Yeah. So that was an eye-opener for us that this is something actually that is feasible 
then this is something that we will have to reproduce in larger clinical trials. So this is very reassuring, and I just want to emphasize the point that these are the patients who probably get the most benefit from left atrial appendage closure because we're able to uh, close the appendage, decrease the risk of stroke, uh, while at the same time not you know, putting them at high risk for long-term anticoagulation and re-bleeding in, in the future. Because the alternative is that if you're not going to give them anticoagulation and you're going to deprive them the luxury of having a device in, then their risk of stroke is quite significant. Yeah. And I think actually that our group has been the, the major leader in this kind of approach for these, for these patients. Um, and how about the patients? So the problem with the studies, and that's why people are, um, I, do, I don't want to say resistant, but hesitant to implant the device uh, as primary therapy and not in bleeders, is because there were, you know, it was not, the device was not superior to warfarin in terms of decreasing the risk of uh, cerebral ischemic stroke or uh, embolism. Uh, but I know that you, you just shared with me that we have some data on very high-risk uh, patients uh, with the high chads VASC. Uh, so can you tell us about that group of patients? So we looked at, we have a, so far for the past few years, we have implanted in excess of 300 uh, such devices. So if we uh, pull out the patients who have a high risk of stroke, these are patients who have a chads VASC score of 5 and above. Um, and you look at, and these are, and a third, two thirds of these patients have had a history of stroke or TIA. So yes, we're talking so secondary prevention now yeah. um, of stroke. Um, and if you look at what happened to those patients after we've implanted that Watchman device, first of all, we were able to implant the Watchman device in all of them. Um, and then when you follow them up, their risk of stroke after they had gone through the 45 days of anticoagulation and stopping them is only 2.8%. If you compare that to a historical control with a child's VASC of five to six, their risk of stroke or, or systemic embolization is in excess of 12%. And with Coumadin, warfarin alone, assuming a 70 to 80% reduction in risk of stroke, that risk goes down only to 4%. So those patients who've had a stroke before, high child's VASC, very high risk, who have had also probably bleeding problems, Instead of leaving them, leaving them alone, we were able to get them down to a 2.8% risk of stroke so this is, with the watchman. This device. is very reassuring, meaning and showing that actually the therapy works in decreasing the risk of ischemic stroke or uh, embolization. Because th that was the concern we had uh, from Protect and Prevail, because in those studies, uh, it was just equivalent uh, to, uh, to warfarin without being uh, superior to warfarin in decreasing ischemic stroke. But based on, uh, on the very high risk patients, uh, you know, our cohort, and it looks like it does work even better in the higher uh, risk patients. Exactly. And if you look at the, some of the subgroup analysis in Protect AFib, looking at patients who've had prior history of stroke, so those secondary prevention patients, it did, even though it was not a pre-specified endpoint, but it did decrease, actually, the risk of ischemic stroke in those patients, mm -hmm. um, which is very important. Now, um, one more thing that we have to add for those very high-risk patients who also have high risk of bleeding, because this is the kind of patients that we yeah. um, have uh, implanted, these patients in the community might be left alone. Yes. And when you are faced with the risk of um, bleeding with intermediate term anticoagulation, which is very low in our experience, versus the risk of stroke, 
if you are not taking anticoagulation, it becomes a no-brainer that this is the way that things need to be actually moving. Um, I know also that there was a, a new iteration of the Watchman device uh, that has uh, been in clinical trials. Can you tell us a little bit about it and how is it different from the original uh, Watchman? So the original Watchman device um, has its own limitations, mostly size limitations. If the appendage is too small, uh, the current available uh, older Watchman devices cannot actually uh, be used for uh, these uh, appendages, or if the watch, or if uh, the anatomy of the left atrial appendage, whereby the os is too large and the appendage is too short, the currently available Watchman device, approved Watchman device, cannot be used. And therefore, there's a new iteration of the uh, Watchman device where there are certain changes, uh, such as now you can use that newer device for smaller appendages mm -hmm. or for short appendages or for larger uh, os appendages. And also the technique to put it in place is probably more comfortable for physicians to use yeah. because it doesn't have those feet at the tip. It has a closed end at its tip and therefore you can form a little bit of a ball and push it. Um, and it gives you also more flexibility uh, in terms of implant technique. Um, with the older device, uh, if, you, if you put it uh, uh, proximal and you're not happy with that, then you'll have to retract the device, throw it away, get a new device in its place. Whereas that new device allows you uh, to partially retract it and then push it forward. So more flexibility in terms of the implant procedure for the implanting physician. Excellent. And how about the amulet device? I know it's in studies. Where is that uh, going, you think? Well, um, there are a lot of other devices that are going to be in clinical uh, trials. Mm -hmm. um, and now that the watchman is approved, uh, it's easier to get those devices on the market. All they have to do is actually compare it to the available uh, watchman uh, du jour. Um, and uh, it is in clinical trial. Uh, we are uh, part of this clinical trial. Um, it does have its advantages in terms of uh, implantation, uh, ease of implantation. Um, we'll have to wait for the major clinical trial in the U.S. to see what is the outcome going to be. But we know from uh, clinical experience in Europe that uh, there is uh, the efficacy and the safety of uh, that device uh, might be comparable to the available watchman, but mm -hmm. this is something that we will need to actually um, establish here mm -hmm. in the U.S. And how about uh, the safety profile of our own experience with watchmen uh, at the clinic so far? So we are very excited about our experience because we have had uh, in excess of 300 implants. Uh, most importantly, uh, because there was a concern with the initial experience with the Protect AFib that uh, there might be a high risk of uh, adverse uh, uh, outcome at the time or periprocedurally. Um, we have not had uh, any uh, device embolization uh, with the watchman. That, we have nice not point. had uh, any peri-device implantation strokes. Um, we have had one uh, case of delayed pericardial effusion without tamponade that we elected to drain uh, percutaneously. Um, and uh, our experience, despite the fact that we have, uh, there's probably four of us who do these kinds of implantations, um, have had very good experience and not had any major That is problems. actually impressive because even comparing to the controlled uh, studies, the risk of uh, effusion was much higher. Uh, than uh, one in 300. It was probably more around one to two percent 
uh, in the later iterations, actually, of the studies. So, uh, so basically what we're saying is that it is very effective in uh, decreasing the risk of uh, ischemic stroke and definitely decreasing the risk of bleeding, and it has a very good safety profile. So what would it take for you, in your mind, for us to start uh, offering uh, left atrial appendage closure as first-line therapy without having the patient having to have an intracranial hemorrhage before we offer them uh, this, this device? So that is a very important question. Uh, we have always to remember that the major clinical trials that were done with the Watchman device were against warfarin. Mm -hmm. And warfarin has its potential problems in terms of time and therapeutic range, in, times, in terms of uh, patient not discontinuing the medication. Uh, so with the new kids on the block, which are the newer anticoagulants, which have proven actually some superiority in certain respect to warfarin, the question is, what is it going to take for us to um, what is it going to take for us to suggest the war for the um, the device therapy versus newer anticoagulant therapy so we will have to see how these two actually compare yeah um, because I think that the main uh, alternative treatment option now that is available uh, for stroke prevention is with the increasing use of the newer, newer anticoagulant versus the watchman. Also, we have to keep in mind what kind of patient population was included in the study for the watchman. Mm -hmm. These are patients who, their highest risk of stroke is really from the left atrial appendage. So these are patients who do not have uh, aortic arch atheromas, do not have carotid disease. LV function is actually more than 30%. They do not have LV thrombus. Yeah, so uh, valvular. Va they do not have valvular heart disease. So there's a st still a large patient population who are at an increased risk of stroke, who do not fit necessarily the watchman inclusion criteria. So how much do we extrapolate? And how many patients do we include just by clinical practice? is something that real-time um, real data is going to be able it to It seems to me that registries. we may need a randomized study of Watchman versus the new oral anticoagulants at some point. So I think, I think that it's very important to think now about a Watchman in two different environments. One is, how, where is the place of the Watchman in the arena of newer anticoagulant? And more importantly, where is the place of the Watchman with the growing atrial fibrillation ablation population? Very good. Any final thoughts on, on this therapy? We are very excited about uh, the availability of this therapy. I think it is definitely um, uh, a practice-changing uh, 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 therapy, and uh, uh, it uh, gives us a lot of room for future research. There's going to be a lot of newer devices that are going to be on the market that we're also going to be involved in evaluating, and uh, I think the future is bright and exciting to see how things are going to lead us. And in my practice, I have to say the patients are very, very comfortable with the... Uh, with the therapy and very satisfied with it. I mean, they come back and thank me for their improvement in quality of life because now they don't have to worry about taking an anticoagulant that may cause bleeding and, you know, repeated uh, visits to the emergency department. So I think it's a new era in uh, stroke prevention uh, and I think it gives us a lot of new options to treat uh, those very high-risk patients, whether it's uh, ischemic stroke or with bleeding. And at that, uh, I thank you very much uh, for joining me, uh, Walid. Uh, thank you, it's this, a pleasure. Uh, podcast, and um, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. 
We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We welcome your comments and feedback. Please contact us at heart at ccf.org. Like what you heard? Please subscribe and share the link on iTunes.